Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses... The reality of that eight-show-a-week slog is really hard. When I start on a character, I have to draw them, and I'm, I'm not an artist. This is an effect built in myth and mystery. So you'd be sitting in this tiny little bio box with radiators all around you. Which was a funny thing because I don't think that play would have happened in that way if it wasn't at Griffin. You're a bit different to the other girls in this area. Yes, I thought, yes, I am. That was the days when they could smell an actor or a singer and think, oh, I've got six weeks. My sisters really taught me that, that I had to be versatile. This ostrich, pink ostrich feather sticking up out of my hair, out of this wig. My first career, as it were, was preparation for my second career. And her face was beaming. It was just beaming at me. I hadn't lost any of my passion or love for it, so it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much. Hello, you're listening to The Stages Podcast, and I'm Peter Ayers. The art of scenic design is a craft as old as the theatre itself. Painted cloths, gauze and scenery complete the illusion to which we attend so freely. However, with the advent of technologies, the theatrical experience, which essentially has a responsibility to transport us into other worlds, has seen new and often unsatisfying ways of conjuring this magical immersion. Rod Clark and Stella Ginsberg are artists who have been constructing and executing the specific craft of the scenic artist for several decades. Their bespoke and alluring art has given dimension, atmosphere and life to stage settings in a most unique and hypnotic manner. It is an art form that is at some risk, however, as a new generation of designers begin to explore other avenues of invention to tell their stories. Clark and Ginsberg set up their own studio and theatrical business, Scenographic Studios, in the 1980s. Their headquarters in Newtown quickly became a location of enormous creativity and a hive of activity as the couple and their staff were enlisted to prepare and paint scenery for a vast range of entertainments. Pop, concerts, opera, galas, plays, dance and musicals. Their talent and experience preserving and celebrating this theatrical craft is to be applauded. Stella and Rod have keenly accepted the challenge of translating an idea on paper to a spellbinding realisation of dramatic effect on the stage. They have completed a magical experience for all of us who have ever sat in a theatre. Did you work with Anthony? Yes, we did. Well, I come from Argentina. And when I came to, uh, when I started working with the opera company, Anthony was uh, my neighbour. Well, he was friends of my neighbours and every night he used to come and, like young people, you know, having fun. And eventually we started working together and Anthony more like a freelancer moving around when I was more fixed into the opera company. Um, and it was a, quite an interesting experience because I know Anthony from the beginning, from 70, 76. Wow. A fellow Just, artist. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And we continue sort of working together all these periods coming and going. Anthony used to teach in Naira in a period of time and eventually um, he decided to move on like we all are. Keep in touch. And it's just a lovely, nice old friendship. Yeah, it's lovely. Well, well we, we, we used to hold scenic artist dinners because oh, yeah. we knew just about everyone 
working, especially not so much in film, although some of the live theatre painters moved into film work, where you get paid a lot more, uh, but then the work's spasmodic. So, so um, often if we could, once a year we'd hold uh, a dinner so we could all get together and chat about. Uh, well, like a professional organisation, wasn't it? Yes. Sort of just, well, um, well, it was more... Sharing more stories, yes, and yes, more yes, stories. Yeah, and, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, Rod mm. Clark and Stella Ginsberg, um, thank you so much for, for uh, sharing your story today about the, the life and, and art of the scenic artist. You've, you've had uh, established quite a, a long personal and professional relationship, so I guess we should start with when did that begin? How did, when did you meet and how did you meet? We met at the Opera Company. I'd just returned from working for about three years in London in the theatre um, and I, I was a bit broke and needed some money so I went back to, uh, originally I in Sydney I'd worked for the Elizabethan Theatre Trust um, and then that all changed uh, and the opera company started their own workshop. Stella was already painting at the opera by the time I got back in about 19... 70, late 77, I think it was. No, uh, not later. If I arrived in this country in 76, you couldn't arrive here a year later because I started working in Paddington in Scenic Studio. Uh, yes, Scenery Centre. Scenery Centre, where there was the beginning of Elizabeth Trust separate the ballet to the opera, and the ballet went to Melbourne, and the opera stayed in Sydney and they established a workshop in Paddington and a painting studio. Uh, carpenters and painters sort of tend to go together. And after that, they op the, the opera company bought the building in Elizabeth Street. No, Rain no, 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 no Rainford Street. Street. Excuse me. Yeah, Rainford right. Street, and that would Romney come in hmm. and later on. Well, Elizabeth maybe it was 78. But yeah, it could but, be, yeah. Um, and Stella, Stella was working there. Uh, I, I wanted a job to save money to go travelling again, but, but the opera were a bit desperate, uh, even back then, to find experienced people, so uh, they offered me the head painter's job, uh, which was a bit daunting. I wasn't sure that I, I'd had enough experience, but there was no one else around, so I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll give it a go, and kept going. I guess a lot of the craft is is learning on the job. It is. Yeah. There's no even back originally when when I left Adelaide, I uh, where where I had already been designing and painting for a musical. I, I wanted to go to NIDA to to uh, learn how to be a theatre designer, but there was no such thing as a design course. I did a production course which at the time wasn't very well run. Uh, a friend of mine was already working at the Elizabethan Theatre Trust who, who needed a young painter to work with them, work with the older people. So I jumped at that and that's how I began and, and it was certainly a case of working with older people. Um, there was no other way, or, or, other than just going out on your own and, and trying your luck sort of thing. I was very fortunate because back then the tail end of the really old experienced people was still there, um, retiring, but, but it, it was enough to give me a, um, 
are looking and and, and uh, you know training with the the old tech techniques that go back a hundred years or more. Yeah. So that was great fun. Yeah. And and Stella um, was the same in in Buenos Aires. She was working with the Teatro Colón, and they had a big traditional um, painting studio there uh, with the older techniques of grinding up your own colours, uh, mixing, making your own paints, um, you know. And, uh, the Italian school. In an Italian style, yeah. In Seneca, you got the English style, where it works in frames and vertically, and the Italian system, where it works in the floor, lie down the, the, the canvas in the floor and you walk on top and you paint it. And that's the two different styles you got. And I was trained by the old style. And in Argentina, it was 160 painters. Uh, it was a very different system because the Senecati was the in charge person and the concerts come from Italy or any country or the designs and he decide what is practical as a building construction and what is uh, soft stuff without a back cloth and the lady and decided and the ladies comes and they start sewing the material and the floor by hand and after that the fourth level of paint and comes in some primer and the, and the drawing. Uh, it's just a very old fashioned technique. It's very and, bespoke, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and each painter has got two other labels behind. It's sort of like a, the third label is the one mix the colors and smash the rocks and prepare all the colors and boil the glue. It's just a, and prepare everything for the second uh, person in charge to start lying colors. And when he finished, the master comes in and plays around for a couple of days. And that's sort of, that's why so many people are involved. But when I arrived in Australia, I just couldn't believe it. It was a very small workshop, only three painters. And I went to the opera house to see the stage, tiny little stage. And I thought, oh. It's more like a drama theatre, not like an opera. Mm. You know, I was used to, to a very big stage. Mm. Just different concepts. What's that? I guess it was a very young industry at that time in Australia too, and yeah. you were coming from a, a culture that had had centuries of... of well, uh, no, um, there were a lot of the older J.C. Williamson's theatres. Um, a lot of them had their own paint frame, uh, built in, a, in the traditional English style with a with a paint frame moved up and down a wall so it didn't actually take up a lot of floor space uh, somewhere in the theatre so they and they they you know even from the early settlement days they there was that very strong English tradition so that knowledge would have been bought from from the UK, from the UK yes uh, yeah. and, and people were migrating yes. to Australia yes to work in the theatre that's right. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, I, at the time I worked with the Elizabethan Theatre Trust, um, they had a small paint frame in, in um, 
uh, Woolloomooloo where their w big workshop was. Uh, but, but by then we were actually painting on the floor in the Italian style. I, I spent a little bit of time with an Italian company in Florence where they were painting on the floor and I told the painter that uh, the English people painted on a frame and he shook his head and said, no, no, you can't do that. He said, <laughs> that's it. And, I, and I said the same thing to the English. I said, oh, you know, the Italians paint on the floor. And they said, oh, we wouldn't want to do that sort of thing. So it was very amusing having uh, experienced both of them. Uh, uh, you mentioned you wanted to be a designer. Mm. Uh, who were the designers around at the time? Were, well, well, was it the directors that were sort of conceiving a, a look to no, the show? Initially, back a hundred years ago, the, the scenic artist was the designer um, because the scenery was mainly back cloths uh, and soft legs and borders, um, uh, which is a scenic artist's kind of forte, and they'd have a few built flats and uh, a castle or an interior but but they were very simple um, these days and slowly and again it's technology creeping in where machinery and revolve stages started to come in and heavy lifting gear for, for big scenery pieces then it became a far more specialized um, occupation being a designer uh, and you li liaised a lot more with technical people and, and with the director uh, about scenery which was becoming more and more complex. Mm. So, um, yeah. The, the names that were around at the time, I bet people like John Truscott I suppose? Yes, well, we, we worked with John, uh, we worked with Tom Langwood who was one of my favourites, yeah. an English designer who, who for, for quite a while was the resident designer at, at the opera company, Ken Rao. Um, all of these people were, were in full swing um, back when Stella and I were, were painting for the opera. Alan Lees. Uh, Alan Lees. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to remember which one was the first show they did. And then, then the opera, of course, would often invite a guest director or designer in we worked with Henry Barden, who was a, a very well-known uh, English designer. Um, yes, there, there were a lot of very established, very experienced um, theatre designers who were designing for people like us, who, who knew how to paint, hand paint um, any kind of scenery that you wanted. Um, who else can I... Um, well, seeing as in the beginning, uh, the opera company used to be three acts, and every act have two different scenes. What it means is, uh, these days, it's one scene for the entire opera with very little changes. But in the old days, it used to be more changes, uh, interiors and exteriors and different scenes, and that's what you need more stuff to achieve the, the full productions um, oh. and at the beginning sort of like with Alan Lee I remember very clearly it was at Tosca the church and it took forever you know with huge, only three painters yeah. uh, it was a big uh, problem and we used to sort of work um, in, in the season 
we never went home practically, just to sleep and back again next morning. It was seven days a week, maybe 15 hours a day. Yeah. Well, to a couple of other um, designers we work with, um, uh, Sidney Nolan, um, who designed Il Trovatore for the, for the opera while we were there, and that was spectacular. Uh, I think there were about 14 gauzes and cloths in it. Uh, only one built piece that, that Nolan didn't really have anything to do with, but he, he designed these magnificent, beautiful, highly coloured and textured backcloths and gauzes. So, so that was uh, challenging, but, but very good fun for us. And, and the other painter we worked with uh, was Charles Blackman, who was designing ballets for the West Australian Ballet back in the early to mid 80s. Um, and I'd known about Charles and the first time that, that I was asked to work for him was for a ballet called Daisy Bates, which the Sydney Dance Company were putting on. Um, and I'd, I'd, I was given some designs, but I hadn't met Charles yet, uh, and I painted a big gauze, which was to look like a, a charcoal sketch of, of the face of Daisy Bates. So I was a bit nervous uh, when Charles uh, rang me up and said, oh, can I come and have a look at what you were doing? Um, so, so I waited for him and, and in came this, he's not a tall chap, but, but very strident, very um, uh, um, kind of free, freely speaking, uh, spoke his mind a lot, introduced himself. And I, I said, well, here's the gauze, Charles. Uh, and he, he didn't say anything, and he walked around, and he walked around, and I thought, oh, gee, what's he going to say? And then he walked up a set of stairs to have a look down, and he came down, and he said, well, that's great, mate. So I, I was quite relieved coming from this very, very... Well, well, it must, must have been an interesting experience for them, Nolan and Blackman, because you know, they, they might come up with the design, but they're not painting the image with their own hand, which no. they have done well, through their career. Yes, that's right. Well, well Charles, uh, Nolan was a little bit aloof and removed. Um, he wasn't so interested in, in, the, in the aspect of, of us being able to copy these huge brush strokes over his work. He was just happy if we'd done a good job and he'd discuss aspects of it. But Charles was fascinated by it. Uh, and he and I later ended up working on a couple of big backcloths together because he was so interested in it. But it, but it caused problems. We, um, he was commissioned to do a, a, a big mural for the conference centre when they opened Darling Harbour. And um, Charles came to me with these really lovely watercolour designs uh, and he said, well, here, here you are, you start off, and, and he said, you work on them for a couple of days, and then I'll come in and work with you. Um, so, so we started off, and, and I was carefully copying his, his work and the colours and the feel of it. Um, when, when Charles came in and I showed him the paints, and um, he, he ignored his designs and started doing something completely different. Because once once an artist has has done something, you know they dismiss it and and they want to do something different. So after a couple of days of this, the the whole thing was looking totally different. And I told him off. 
I, I said, Charlie, you know, you're, you're changed. <laughs> <laughs> You've changed the look, look, look the of the aesthetic of the yeah, whole production. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, uh, you know, this leaves me, you know, w- without a flaw. So, so he said, all, all right, then. He said, look, you work on it for a couple of days uh, and then you stop and I'll work on it for a couple of days. So we sw- swapped over, but it, but it was totally different in the end. But that didn't worry him. It worried me. Might have worried the director. Well, exactly. <laughs> the, yeah. So so yes, but but um, yeah. So uh, and and again, uh, theatre designers are, are, are totally different. So, some of them are very accepting, very understanding. Others um, can be very um, particular um, about colours and drawing everything that you do and they'll fuss and fuss and fuss and often uh, we get frustrated because we we would often go down to the theatre uh, during rehearsals and during lighting uh, to see that everything was all right sometimes uh, and it was um, was it John Truscott, John Truscott. A, a design for an opera called um, a Domineo, I think it was, that that had already been staged by an opera company in Melbourne and and the Australian Opera bought the production. We had to do a lot of repainting, it was damaged over the years. Um, And John said to us, look, he said, you've got to make sure you get this lovely dusty yellow um, feel over over a ruin. It was an old ruin. Um, And we did that. But, but when it was lit on stage, the lighting people put purple lights all over it. You know, just, just wrecked the whole concept of it. And I, I was a bit, I, I was, well, a bit annoyed, really. Yeah, you would be. Um, but, and, I, and I was disappointed that John uh, sat there and, and accepted all this, you know, and let it go. And I thought, well... You know, the, the, either John or, or the director should have said, wait wait a minute, this isn't the kind of look that we want, the, uh, the colours, but, but it slipped through. Um, so, so you get uh, a lot of variations. Some, some productions work extremely well where, where the combination of lighting uh, and what we've done and the designs re- really all come together, but, but it doesn't always work like that. Yeah, that, that's an important consideration, isn't it? I mean, you can do the, the most spectacular work well, out, but well, the lighting designer well, finishes it off. Yeah, yeah. well, well uh, I, I work with uh, a big English firm of scenic artists in London for a while, and the head painter told me a story about uh, a production that, that his firm had painted, and the designer said, Norman, I want you to come down to the theatre while it's being lit and see how everything goes. And, and Norman, the head painter, said to me he could see the, the designer getting more and more disappointed as the lighting went on uh, until in the end he, he, he was quite upset. Then they stopped the lighting rehearsal and turned the workers on, which was just, just a big flood of white light. And the designer jumped up and said, oh, he said, it's beautiful. What have you done to it? You know, and that just, that was a wonderful yeah. story yeah. Uh, about communication and where it can all go wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, so we see it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, let's go back to the beginning. Stella, um, the theatre, as a girl, where, what was your first exposure or how... Or, or was it more as, a, as an artist? Well, oh, it's just uh, interesting. 
in Argentina, I come from a family of three girls, and my parents used to like once a week take us to the big cinemas and occasionally to the theater. And I just love the theater. That in Argentina, in the nighttime, you have once a week, uh, they, uh, they put a different theater shows at the radio. Uh, so they're showing, the, uh, put it through the show and interviewing different actors through the interviews and, and you become more familiar with what happens or different problems. And for years, I, 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 I hear the theaters and I used to just, when the show was going to be finished, my parents take us to see the show. And from that time, we knew it all by heart <laughs> for listening. Um, and my younger sister wants to be a ballerina. And, and I was in our school. And for her to be able to be a ballerina, somebody have to take her to rehearsals in the afternoon. And I, I was in town and I was just sort of picking up or meeting her near the theater and I take her to the, sh to the rehearsals. And when she was dancing or practicing, I was sketching. But it's a logical thing, means I'm an art student. I got all the models in there. Yes, I, the gas. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And anyway, somebody saw me drawing and I said, oh, you like drawing. Are you been to see the painters in Argentina? It's five labels under the ground. And there and the, and the, and the underground is the big workshops and painting. And I said, no, and I just escape and explore. And I discovered the amazing world of backstage. And, um, and I enrolled myself in between times in a course of uh, theater craft and design. And of course you need to go and work on weekends to in the workshops to see what it's all about. And be a female in Argentina is a, um, a council's work, okay? The theater belongs to the council of the city, like the Sydney council, they call their own theater. And, um, and for consequences, it's a family tradition. The father works there and the son and comes in the family. And it's very hard for new people coming, especially a female. And I was very lucky when I was a student offer myself to voluntary work in, in the heavy periods to paint or cleaning or whatever. And because I was a student, I knew about color and I knew about different things. This that allowed me to practice with the long stick to draw and with the long brushes to paint. And I was showing some type of uh, good quality work I suppose and they offered me an apprenticeship in the theatre where it was an honour really as a female and I spent two years working with the rocks and preparing colours and learn and you're learning all the different techniques and you're watching something in Australian people don't understand how important it is for apprentices to watch what the masters are do um, 
and eventually I sort of um, come beta and I got a bit involved in politics and I have to leave the country a bit in a rush <laughs> and I was very lucky Australia allowed me to come as a refugee where well, it was very lucky and of course no English because I wasn't planned to come to Australia yeah. but it's situations change and I have to and um, and I got a few different jobs in Australia in the beginning when it wasn't my cup of tea and one day in the hostel I met some Argentinian guy who works in, in the opera company as a mechanist backstage and I talked to them and they said oh well oh, you know what you're doing and I said yeah that's the only thing I know what to do and he organized an interview with uh, um, Frank Malai. Frank Malai, where he was the person in charge of the technical staff in the op in the opera house, and he was the only person in Australia. He's already been in Argentina. He knew where I was come from, where I was very lucky, and he really backed me up. He sent me to Saint Saint no, Scenery Centre. And when they didn't have job, he sent me to the ABC. Always with problem being a female. Because the ABC thought I was a good painter, but they didn't have toilets for females. For consequences, they couldn't employ me uh, for a period of time. Eventually, they came and tried to give me a job when I already been sort of organised with a different job. Um, and I always preferred the opera, it was my first option. And I was lucky because after Tosca, the next show was Tile of Hoffman from an Argentinian group of directors and designers, Tito Capobianco and Jose Verona and um, I still remember the names <laughs> and, um, and that really backed me up because I can work with them without the language problem and it was the last show I did in Argentina before I left means I was familiar in a different proportions Argentina was a little bit much bigger production uh, and that's really work in my favour and they offered me a full-time job in in Scenery Centre and then for a few, few months later on the ABC comes and offered me a full-time job but I already was happy where I was. Yes. Oh, were they lost? They lost. Mm -hmm. um, oh, well, it, it, it's, it's really different techniques the, uh, for television, television, yes. television yeah. than, than number one, the working friends and number two, the very small. And then the opera company, just bigger dimensions. Mm. And I worked in Paddington for quite a few years. And after we moved to Surrey Hills, and that's when Romney comes eventually. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you, you finished up at Cinegraphic Studio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a business. That. Oh, eventually. Oh, yes, we'll talk about that. We'll yeah, about it's that. sort of like... Um, when Rodney came to work in the opera company, we just friends and we used to do drawing classes in the night. It's just something big common in us 
trying to keep your hands soft and practical mm -hmm. uh, to do drawing classes in the night time in here. Mm -hmm. and, Sydney. And it's in mm -hmm. the... Um, he brings an old car to bring his old car from Adelaide to Surrey Hills. And my father gave me a Mac 4. Jaguar. And I thought, oh, that's a beautiful car. I used to have one in Argentina. It was very emotional for me. And I said, I do anything to restore it because it was sort of part of my history in yeah, Argentina. Yeah. I never expect to get involved with him. <laughs> um, and um, quite a few years later on, we just got involved and established a family. And uh, and in and traveling together because we're good travelers, um, and painting with him and I, we got a lot of in common. Mm. And eventually, we this Ronnie decided to establish our own workshop in in Sydney, where it was fantastic. We looked for many years to find the proper building, but eventually we did in Newtown. The industry is much more inclusive now, thank goodness, but mm. I bet it's hard to fathom for a lot of people that mm. the difficulties for a woman mm. uh, trying to break into a male-dominated industry. Well, the, the, the scene is sort of... Um, um, I think bosses got the really wrong concept about females. Uh, we, we can do a lot of things, like have a family, and work without problems. We can have children without problems. We have, I have terrible troubles in the opera company when I was having children because it wasn't a concept to involve a mother in, into the industry. It took them a bit of time to accept it. I've got two kids, means I lost quite a bit of time in <laughs> there. Uh, but eventually got too much, have a family and a full-time job is a bit Demanding. But the banality of denying you employment because they didn't have female toilets. Oh, well, silly. <laughs> well, in the ABC, sort of, uh, they did have female toilets for the actors, for the uh, employers, female employers, but not as a, the workshop section, workshop where it's yeah. a different section altogether. Mm. Uh, females don't come to change clothes, mm. they come to look or checking things out but not to change and my I need to change because I have to take public buses and I can't go with my working clothes on. With the pants on, yeah. yeah. Were you able to return to Argentina? Oh quite a few times, yeah. yeah. Right. We used to go every two years or three years right. and the moment we've not been because of COVID. Yeah. Mm. Eventually we will be back. I have I used to have all my family there. Mm. Slowly they all passed away. Yeah. Oh, you've still got. Oh yeah, got nieces, nieces and, and nephews, cousins. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And what about you, Rod? Growing up, what were your uh, influences? I, your... I well, my, my dad, who was, it was an ABC journalist uh, and a bit of a writer, wrote, wrote a lot. Also dabbled in painting, uh, and you, you know, I used to play around with his paints when I was young. Uh, but but when my mother took me to a vocational guidance uh, counsellor and they suggested that I could do architecture or surveying, 
uh, not art. But, um, so I chose to do a surveying course at, at university, but but failed miserably because I, I hated mathematics. Um, so I dipped out, and, and a friend who was doing the same course as me had been working at night in a music hall in, in Adelaide, just operating a, a spot, follow spot. And he said to me, look, when it was coming up to exam time at uni, he said, could you fill in a couple of days at the theatre? So I did that. And while I was doing that, the stage manager said, oh, we're looking for someone to paint our next show. Um, and I said, I said, well, look, I'm interested in it. And, and if you can't find anyone, I'll have a go at it. So I was taken on to paint their next show. And because I'd finished at university, I, I had, I had all, all my time free. Um, uh, so so I, I, I worked more at night in the theatre, but, but I designed and painted their next show. Um, you know, totally from scratch. Uh, only from talking to people and, and reading a bit about it. But I got through because the, the music hall shows were very light-hearted. Um, the audience were, you know, drinking and merrymaking, so it, it, you could get away with a lot. Yeah. Um, so, and I did that for a few years, not, not really understanding, you know, that I'd been offered um, a really good position there. Uh, and I did that until I applied. I, I met one of J.C. Williamson's uh, technical directors. He said, why don't you go to NIDA? You'll learn a lot more. Uh, I applied and got a small scholarship. But I, I spent a year there doing a production course, but it was, uh, it, you know, to my way of thinking, it was pretty feeble. And because I'd already worked in the theatre, I wasn't progressing. So I swapped over to the Elizabethan Theatre Trust and started working with much older and very experienced painters. Um, did that for a couple of years and until the trust folded down. And at that time, I'd met some friends who were um, involved in restoring an old sailing ship in the UK. And I, I desperately wanted to do that. So I took off, uh, met them in, in England They'd spent too much money bringing the ship from Sweden back to England, so they said, oh, we can't do any more, we're all going to have to get jobs. So I, through Tom Lingwood, the, the designer who I'd worked with here in Sydney, he gave me some contacts for scenic art firms in London, and I was able to get a job with a big firm of scenic artists, and I worked in the theatres at night as well, doing backstage work on some really fantastic uh, West End theatre shows. Um, so, and, and I did that for about three years, helped restore the ship and sailed it back to Australia. That, and, I, and I was broke. And that's when I went to the opera company and met Stella and was, was offered a painting job. Um, uh, and as much as I loved the old ship, you know, I, I wanted to I had no money and I wanted to establish myself a bit more. I worked for the uh, seven, about seven or eight years for the opera as the head painter, uh, mainly with, with reasonable results. So I was still learning, really, 
but but um, the, the designers were, were very good, very big established designers, uh, both English and Australian. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I, I did that for seven or eight years. Then, then had a break, because the, 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 the ship, the eye of the wind that I'd been involved with, needed a, a manager. Most of them were living on board, but, but they were doing serious kind of cruise work in the southwest Pacific. So, Pacific. So I, I set up an office here in my house um, dealing with bookings for the ship and I hated that and I, I, but I had no one else wanted to do it so I kept doing it um, uh, till uh, another one of the owners left the ship and I handed it all over and then I started freelance um, scenic work again because there was plenty of it around and people were often asking me and I, I was just trying to find old warehouses that I could use for you know a couple of months at a time but but that shrunk as well because Sydney was you know development mad so so a lot of these old warehouses were being knocked down and and of course a lot of them were were terrible places with leaky roofs and bad floors so it was just, and I thought blow it I'm I'm going to look for a building myself and and establish a, a proper painting studio it took a couple of years but but we eventually found a, a lovely little old, old factory in Newtown uh, and we were there for over 30 years painting constantly show after show um, uh, because Melbourne Melbourne has and, uh, and had back then probably the biggest scenic studio in Australia and they were extremely well established but in Sydney there was there was no one really so we filled in um, uh, a big need for, for Sydney Live Theatre. I, I had no business plan worked out like people do today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, we just, I just bought the building, laid down a floor and thought, right, uh, here, here we go. And before I'd finished laying the floor, the Elizabethan Trust um, offered me a big job. So I was very anxious for these blokes laying the floor to get Sugar it finished. Baby. Sugar babies, yeah. So, so we, we launched straight into it and I couldn't believe it. For 10 years probably, we had jobs lined up at the door waiting to come in. People I'd never met before uh, and uh, I, I guess it was word of mouth on the part of people we knew. Uh, but, it, but it was wonderful and, and really established us. How many in your team? Was it was well, cheaper the two of you? Firstly, it was just me and a, a young, a uh, couple of young art students, who were sons of friends, friends of ours, family friends, and that that was a bit hard at the beginning, and and I had to work terribly long hours to get some of these big shows done. Eventually, did you come before Russell or or no Russell came? Then not. I have baby one and baby two. When baby two came, it was very difficult to work with the opera company. Uh, a lot of jealousy and uh, a lot of uh, Big egos. egos. I went to court three times about it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, means I'm not type of person to keep it quiet. 
I fight for what I like. Yeah. But anyway, and your political use. <laughs> yeah, 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 really. Just you know, if you want something, you fight for it. Yeah. Uh, but the price you pay when you go young kids, it wasn't nice. And I put the resignation because Rodney already was established, and it was okay. Just go and work with him. To no, kid. you you wanted to have a different career altogether, oh, yes. I, and I, I stopped her. I talked her into. I said, I need you to come and work with you me. Were gonna, you were going to leave. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. went from UTS to do a course for one week or two weeks of all different um, careers. Careers, and in the morning you do two different things. And in the afternoon, two different scenes, just to discover what else can you do with yourself. And uh, and in the end, I think, what to start all over again when I'm already established, you know? <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, okay, I'll go and work for you. Well, it was a, a little bit easier. We're living together in the morning and come back together, or sort of. Uh, and, and, and Newtown wasn't too far away. And Russell, Russell had no, worked casually in the for the opera, opera company. company, and Stella told me about. She said, "Oh, this good, good young painter, um, you might give him a ring and see if see if he wants to work." So Russell came uh, and stayed there for twenty five, probably twenty five years till mm -hmm. we closed. Uh, so mostly it was the three of us. If we go, we we did big shows every now and again, like the the, the producers with Reg Livermore and um, uh, Buddy, the big music. When we got big shows like that, there was just so much work, and we'd get Ru Russell had trained as a sign writer, uh, and he had a number of friends who who worked because um, Buddy was was full of big billboards and signage, so we got. Uh, a lot of Russell's mates in to help us with that. Uh, Cliff Simcox was another old um, uh, friend back from the opera days who used to do props and painting. We'd get Cliff to come in. So that and Anthony Babici uh, and, and a few others. We had a little network, ben, ben, but ben. but they they were casual and they came and went. But but Stella Russell and I were the core. Who, who kept the place going through yeah. through the whole time? You, you were living and working together twenty four seven. Did that have its moments? Yeah. Well, <laughs> not well. For, yes, it it did. And and people would often stand aghast looking at us on the platform. Not it was it was really we only really um, yelled at each other about how we were going to approach doing a job. Creative differences. Creative differences, yeah. yeah. No, nothing else. Um, uh, See, living together with your partner, you can't wait to go home to fight for something happening at work yeah, right. because you've got a different reality when you go home. You've got two kids yeah. to know and domestic life. And it was a lot easier to fight it on the spot, on full voice, or whatever we felt about it, and it was all over. Yeah, so and, and it wasn't a bit. But I was at home. We, we didn't really talk about it much. Um, we, yeah. we just had our family life, so we were able to shut off. Uh, once yeah, it's important, left. isn't it? To well, sort of uh, well, leave it, work at yes, work. And that, that's yeah, right. Yeah. It, it didn't nag at us um, at home at all. So in the studio, did, did you adopt the Italian style? Were you yes. painting on the floor? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I'll show you. We've got oh, lots oh, of lovely. I look forward to having a look at some albums. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that I, I mean, people 
used to come into the studio uh, in Newtown and say, oh, what a beautiful big space. But for us, it, it was actually quite tight at times. Uh, the, the, the back cloths for the theatre actually over the years got bigger, not smaller. The older theatres were smaller. The bigger ones uh, were, were all much, much larger. So our back cloths, we, we used to be able to fit two uh, at once in the studio, which was very handy to work on two at once. But towards the end, we were lucky to be able to fit one in there. Um, and, and even that was a squeeze sometimes. So, so to get the perspective and look at it, mm. did you build a we, mezzanine in? Were you yeah, able we, to get we up did. high? We did. Yeah. We, uh, the, the build, it was a, an old building, uh, a factory built in the 1920s. It had a beautiful big high gabled roof, um, all open and, and just these beautiful big roof trusses. So the first thing we did was got uh, get a builder to build us a what we call a catwalk across the, the bottoms of these trusses and, and a staircase to go up. So we could, we were, uh, and it was fantastic. We used it the whole time we were there because you could quickly run up and look down at what you were doing. You could see all the drawing, the perspective, everything else. Whereas when we were at the opera, we didn't have that facility at all. And I used to have to carry this massive wooden ladder around with me everywhere climbing up and down it was an absolute nuisance so so the Newtown studio was really wonderful like that very easy to what well, once you've got the design mm. how long did it take to complete the job well uh, it varied a lot depending on on the intensity of the designs and I've got a I've got a good story about that uh, and, and it goes back to um, uh, Sydney Nolan's um, design for Il design for Il Trovatore. When when Nolan came out to present his designs to the opera company, um, the the all of the top management uh, artistic people of the opera came out to the work opera workshop in Surrey Hills to to do the presentation, um, and and the director was a, another Australian, Elijah Majinski who worked uh, quite a bit in, in London, and I'd, I'd met him over there. A anyway, um, uh, everyone was there, including um, Richard Bonning, uh, Moffat Oxenbold, the artistic director. Um, Russell Mitchell. Russell Mitchell, the head technician, and, and Nolan, and he presented them. Uh, and they, wanted, they brought me up and, and asked how long it would take to paint these cloths. Now, fortunately, I'd, I'd already worked in London and I knew what, what time was needed to do quality work. Um, so, and, and Elijah said to me, he said, these have got to be absolutely perfect. He said, there can be no variation of anything. He said, every dot and dash has got to be absolute. So I said, well, well I, I said, look, it'll take between two and three weeks to do each one. And Elijah, in front of everyone, said, oh, that's rubbish. He said, the London painters could do them in two or three days, not weeks. And I was speechless, because everyone was standing there watching me, and I, and I thought, no, I, I, I know what, a, you know what it would take. So I said, well, I'm sorry, I couldn't do it. So I felt quite bad, uh, and I left the meeting. 
Later on that afternoon, Russell Mitchell, the, the head technician, came up to me and he said, Rodney, I, I rang London, I rang the, the painters who, who did Nolan's work, and he said they were taking two to three weeks to do these cloths. So I, I felt a little bit better after that. But, you know, it was embarrassing at the time. And I've got to say that before I went to London, when I painted with the Elizabethan Trust, we were expected to do a backcloth in two or three days. It, it, nothing was very well organised. The whole workshop was run by carpenters, not scenic artists. And the carpenters had absolutely no idea of the time that was needed to do good work. Mm. There's another story, the, the Italians I worked with, um, a, a, a lovely bloke called um, Raphael del Savio, who was their head painter. He told me that what, uh, when, when they were presenting shows at, at, in, at the opera in Florence, he was invited to go up and he'd give his assessment of how long it would take to paint each opera. Now they, they used to do three new operas a year and Raphael said to me one year he told them that they would have to cancel one of the operas because he would not have time to paint it. And I thought, crikey, I'd get the sack if I <laughs> But that just, there was a huge difference mm. between the UK, Europe and, and what we were expected to throw out mm. in a short time in, in, back here in Sydney. Tell me about the cloth, because uh, you know it's not not a canvas that a painter would paint on. I imagine it's it, it's got to survive. It's, it's yes, it's probably it's, quite it's, thick. Well, it is a canvas, but, it is and it's absorbent. Or uh, yes, uh, and we have to do layers of preparation for it. Uh, initially, the older um, years back, they would do a size coating, and this this was an animal glue size, uh, thin to a. a a level where it would paint easily on and just seal um, the canvas for, from being too absorbent. And then you'd do a, a primer coat, which was generally white, but could be a, a ground colour as well. And then you put your paints on top. They had to be soft because the cloths were rolled or folded constantly on the move. So for us, it, that was critical that we didn't uh, stiffen up, put too much paint on, so that was crack. Crack. Um, so that was a, a very important part of our work. Uh, initially, they were we we worked with animal glue size. We made our own paints. We got. I was going to say yes. You're not going down to Bunnings and no, getting no, into no, a, a no, Dulux, are no. you? Uh, no, you can't. You cannot <laughs> do well, commercial well, well, paint because it's created to go into a war where it's hard. And, and it's not flexible. Paint is not flexible. Domestic, you know, is, is a hard thing. And we, we, don't, we can't use that. And we're very lucky in this country because the Victorian people, the Senate, Senate Senate studio, they, they create special paint for theatre, where it's a very soft stuff. And you can mix it and thin it forever. It's just a beautiful colours. That they're pure the colour. What what what's wrong with um, household paints is that they're full of um, what we call inert fillers to pack it up, but not a lot of actual Pig colour pigments. Whereas our colours were were pure, hundred percent pigment and the binders and water, 
mixed in various. Wow. Um, so we could mix endlessly. The, you, you could keep, we, and we used to do this, we'd keep a pot of paint if we'd mixed up too much. We could keep it for months and then reuse it when we needed something, we'd add colours to it. So, so very, very flexible, very, very economic to use. Um, but, but yeah, pe people do try and use household paints and it's a disaster. I imagine when you finish two, there's quite a bit of weight in those clothes. Mm. Yeah. Yes, we, we what, what sort of weight? Well, um, there there are a, a, a standard backcloth is probably about um, uh, twenty kilos, some, something like that. But we've done some. We did a big blue cyclorama for for a film studio at Fox Studios. And that was 85 metres long. Our studio was 20, 24 metres, I think. So we had, we had to do it in uh, about four different sections. One piece of canvas, huge. One person, you know, it took four or five of us to lift it without any paint on. Um, and when we painted it, we, had to, we couldn't fold it up in the studio. We bundled it up on big trolleys and, and wheeled it down to a local park where we could stretch it out <laughs> and crop it. Yes, that, that was, oh, yeah. Quite so yes, the, um, but, but I mean, we tried to keep the cloths as light as, as possible because we knew how important it is uh, for the flexibility. Is if, if you keep the cloth soft, you can fold it and when you hang it, but their own self, the crinkles goes off. Mm. Fall out. But mm. if the paint is hard, you go cracks, mm. and you can't get rid of the cracks. That's the difference, mm. you know. And the softer you, you keep the clothes, the easier it is to keep it straight and tight it. And sometimes all clothes gets reused quite often. Yeah. There, there was a problem when we worked in France that we here uh, in in Australia we could choose whether we worked on um, fireproof. scenic canvas that was fireproofed or unfireproofed. We always chose the unfireproofed, and we would fireproof the cloths ourselves at the end. Very easy process uh, to spray on the fireproofing, but but in France um, this wasn't possible. They would not allow it. The cloth had to be fireproofed. And that they were horrible to work on because it's full of salts, uh, very absorbent. The minute you put your brush on there, you'd see got well, stains, uh, stain everywhere. Moving. So, so we before we began each cloth in France, we went through this process of sizing, um, and and I could only do it by spray. You couldn't touch it with a brush because of all these problems. So I, I'd heavily spray each back cloth with, twice with, with this sizing, synthetic um, acrylic sizing, before we dared to kind of touch it with primers and paints. So, so that, that was an extra kind of hurdle that, that we had to continually face okay. over there. The challenges. Oh yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah. Quite a bit. yeah. Over the last ten years, I've seen a lot of theatre which are relying more and more on technology. Yes, yeah. Yeah. which is, I guess it's a natural yes, advancement. It, it, and it makes things easier. It makes yeah. things quicker. Yeah. Um, so therefore, is is scenic art scenic artwork um, a disappearing 
craft it, it in the theatre? It is. Uh, it's shrinking. Um, uh, due, due not only to those technical factors, but to the young designers coming out of design schools now who were taught um, mostly about this modern uh, technical way of approaching stage design. There is very little now taught because um, the older teachers again are going, uh, the ones who, who understood about um, traditional scenery and painted cloths. So, so t the young students are taught less and less about that. And we, we came to realise this when we, we would often have NIDA design students coming over either to look at what we were doing or to do little productions. And we would show them some of these albums of our work and their eyes would light up and say, what is this? You know, we're not taught about this. What are these? So wow. we, we would go through and explain, well, you know, this, this is stage scenery. So, so there's, a, there's becoming a, a big divide now in, in uh, lovely, you know, very young, lovely young talented designers who, who know almost nothing about painted scenery. Scenery, for example, um, in the old days you used the canvas to paint on it. And as well, gauzes. Gauzes is an, a beautiful material, it's an open material. When you work on it, you put an image, and if you light it from the front of this, from the stage, you see the image, but if you light it from behind the stage, it's got transparent. Disappears. And disappears, and you can see the scenes from the back. These days, very few students know all about the techniques of gauzing. That's one example, you know. It, the, the, you say cheap and fast. Well, I will not call it cheap <laughs> and fast. I call um, greedy. Yeah. Because they want a, want a, a bigger production, pretend bigger production, with no money involved, because that way they can spend the money and better paying better actors or something. But they don't understand theatre as they involve the audience in this magic well of uh, transform. And you can't transform with technology. No. You just bombard them with technology, but you don't involve audience with. But with I, I think they actually cost a lot more. Oh, of than, course it does, but it's so it's pretentious. You know, the sounds and the lights. If they spend five or six times more than what it would cost painting a backcloth. We worked in uh, a couple of times in Sweden for a uh, uh, Joe Libero, uh, an illusionist who used to stage these great big Production. productions. Uh, we, were, we were setting up um, with, a, with a lovely designer, Bill Passmore, who, who was a friend of ours. He designed these shows and we'd paint them. When they were setting them up on this stage in Gothenburg, um, the, the sound people started to build these big towers of speakers right on the front of the stage. And Bill, the designer, said, "Get those off of the off the stage. They can't be there." And these sound blokes sulked and said, "Oh no, no, no one will hear anything if they're not right in front." Um, so, so Bill had to design some uh, artistic kind of covers to go over them, which we painted. 
Now, when they did the sound rehearsals, I could feel the audio bouncing off my chest. Yeah. It was just ridiculously loud, totally unneeded. But this is a case of technology sweeping through and it had to take precedence over everything else, whether it was right or wrong. And that was really wrong. But, but then again, like I said, directors um, don't stand up to these people mm. and they, they have to learn to do that. I'm sure you both share my frustration. I, I've seen a few uh, shows recently um, using screens. Oh, yeah. And I think why, you know, it's, mm. you might as well go to the cinema. Well, it, exactly. Or, or sit at home and watch a huge television screen. The, the magic about the theatre is, is illusion. Yeah. Well, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what our field is, uh, illusion. Uh, and when you get... We, we, we worked in France for seven years for a big theatre uh, and in the end we stopped because they got a big LED screen. Um, we, we, we see their productions quite often when we go back and, and I've got to say I find them hard to look at. Um, they're, often they're not just a still image, which a backcloth would be, but, but they're moving images, like what, watching a, a huge um, cinema screen, and they detract uh, and take away yes. from the efforts that, that performers are putting in. Um, and they're very expensive as well, and, and often it wouldn't be so bad if, if, the, if the creativity that went into the screen designs were, were in the hands of, of a proper theatre designer, but they're usually given to a technician to do, because they're the ones who understand all, all the, uh, the programming, opera, programming yeah. and everything. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, 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 the designer who we used to work with in France was a lovely young London designer, very, very clever, but, and he should have been asked to create the images for their big screen. So it was a big mistake that, that they don't get the creative people to do that. There is a place for them, but, but it's got to be within the total you know, context of, of a show. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you both, just to finish off, mm. um, do you have a favourite cloth that you've painted of in your course, career? Of course, of yeah. course. It's called, well, it would be nice if you see it, is the uh, Paris Opera cloth. It's a red cloth with very elaborate gold patterns. It's the more absolutely beautiful art piece. And on top of that, it's a ghost. Mm -hmm. The magic of a ghost, the transparency. And, and that's, that's fantastic, you know. It's that double challenge of uh, what it looks solid comes transparent. Yeah. Um, that, that gauze, the, or, or any gauze, actually is a good example of where um, theatre technology that, that goes back a hundred years, I think, is the equal, if not far better than any LED screen effect, what you can achieve with, with the transition on a gauze. They're, they're absolute magic. And this Paris Opera gauze, which we did, was a great example of it. Do you uh, share that? Uh, is that yeah, your favourite? Yes, well? I, 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 it, it, it's, it's a, it's a show cloth in um, the Garnier Theatre in Paris, uh, and it, it's a cloth that sits there when the, when there's no performance on, and, and it's absolutely magnificent. 
it, it's not a gauze, it, it's a painted cloth. And a f an English friend of mine sent me a postcard of it many years ago and I, I pinned it up above my desk at the studio and I used to look at it all the time thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful to paint something like that? Any, anyway, ten years later we got a call from the opera company saying, oh, quick, quick, we want you to come and have a look at this difficult show. Uh, that, and, and there it was, there was this gauze, the exact same one that they were asking us to paint. So, so it was an absolute thrill. A lot of people, when they see a photograph of it lying on our studio floor, can't believe that it's two-dimensional because, it, again, it's the illusion um, that we've created this beautiful And thing. we paint three versions. We paint two red ones and one blue one. But to be different than Rodney, put it, as Rodney's favour. Pearl, pearl fishes, that's, yeah, that's, that's pearl the name fishes. of the opera. I would consider my favour um, Peter England's plastics. Oh yeah, the plastic, the, the, clear, clear plastics. Uh, Peter used plastics uh, and we painted. The first one was fish. For the, for the Bangara. For Bangara Company, what is a amazing, beautiful company to work for. And you work in the front part and in the back part. It's sort of like when you light it in the front with floral colors, it's got one image. And when you light it from behind, it's got another image where you can see the dances in between. And that's one, and Peter progressing in very different stages and it, it uh, did some big feathers, huge feathers, where you can see the dancers in that sort of appeal and disappear feeling. Um, that, that's another example of a very simple um, stage technique that I think is better than, you know, modern LED projectors and things like that. They're very, like the gauze, these clear plastics that we paint on are absolute magic. Um, uh, and I think they're the absolute equals of anything that can be done now. And also. if you sort of say, uh, I mean, the opera company used to put a remarkable productions of um, involving the audience in the magics. And I think today, Bangara Company is the one involved the audience with the magic. Yeah. Uh, and at take you into a to totally different world. It's just fantastic to watch and very refreshing technically. And um, um, with, with Jake Nash, who designs for no. the Bangara now, it, he's a wonderful designer, very, very, very different with his Aboriginal background. And he'd come to us with the most unusual um, concepts for, for a stage design. And we'd scratch our heads and look at these things and wonder how on earth we were ever going to reproduce them. But, uh, you know, and we were often puzzled, but when you looked at Jake's designs on, on stage, stage and lit, they were so powerful, beautiful designs. Well, I don't know how long it would take, but let's hope that the, the theatre practice comes full circle and there's a resurgence in, um, in scenic artistry. Well, it'll, Russell, Russell will keep, he, he, he now gets work um, through Gabriella Tyler's over with, with overseas companies, partly because of the shrinking nature of it and Russell's ability, 
So I, I think they'll always, it, it'll, you know, the, our, our form of scenic art is shrinking, but it'll still stay, stay there. It, it just has to move, shrink a bit to allow these these other bits of technology and and and, and, and um, cultivating those wise designers who will uh, well exactly yeah. there are some Gabriella Tylosova is a good example of a, of a designer who understands um, all aspects actually um, both the the modern technical aspect and the traditional um, so people like her are, are valuable for us. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think her, her love never dies, which was well, just oh, well, fantastic. Well, we, we, yeah, we did we, that, did yes, you? Yeah. we did a lot of Yes, that she. Yes, that's a good example. She can quite be interesting concept. What was the the last one? The one Russell used those brushes with very long hair. Uh, oh, that that was for the ballet. That was. Um, uh, um, oh, one of the big ballets. Um, sleeping, if, if, sleeping, sleeping beauty. Okay, I can't think of Yeah, something like that. Uh, it all depends what the imagination of the designer mm. is. Yeah. Everything is possible. And I will say to any designer, don't chicken down. Just go wild, it can be done. It does, it's just, that's fantastic. You know, put the risk and achieve it. Push, 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 push for people to make it because it's possible. Uh, nothing is impossible in the stage. I love it. It's just a challenge. Okay. Well, Stella and Rod, thank you so much for the most wonderful conversation. I, I, I can't wait to have a look now at some of your <laughs> albums. Okay. okay. Thanks, right. thanks for having us. Thank you very much. See you another time. <laughs> <laughs> love it. You want a drink? Stella and Rod are the most wonderful couple, sharing a dynamic professional and personal life over several decades. It was a treat to be in their company to record this essential episode. My thanks to Stella and Rod, and also to theatre creative Anthony Babici, who reached out to suggest the interview and provide an introduction. He too recognises the importance to celebrate all of the roles that contribute to our theatre experiences. We journey to the theatre of Broadway in the next episode, when Stages features veteran Broadway performer Michael Masita. During the 1970s especially, Michael was a featured performer and dancer in a slew of productions on the Great White Way. He was in the original companies of The Fig Leaves Are Falling, Follies and Applause, also Equus. He was in Pippin and along the way worked with a host of luminaries, Lauren McCall, Anne Miller, Bob Fosse and Tommy Tune, just to name a few. He is the perfect guest and provides an insight of what it was like to work in those seminal musicals and with those key artists. That's in episode 387, when Stages gives our regards to Broadway, a very special episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Peter Eyes. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time on Stages. Stages.